Whoa, it's a bit chilly here, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Let me get some more wood. Oh, well. Now it should become a little more cozy. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. It seems like a bit of an old-fashioned way of feeding, but also quite romantic. I like that. Uh, not the music. What? Sorry, Melina. But going into colder months. But yeah, it makes a lot of work and dirt, and it's pretty inefficient too. Uh, if you look at it, only 10% or so of the fire's actual heat energy is heating the room. So most goes out the chimney. Fortunately, central heating was invented a while ago. Ah, let's have a closer look at the history of heating and efficiency. Are you in? I'm on fire. From know-how... Wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Melena, I gave the fuel company a call. They came out to refill the oil tank and the boiler has been running. All we need to do now is turn the thermostat on the radiator. What do you think? How efficient is that? Mm -hmm. <sighs> to be honest, I've... No idea, but I guess the result is sobering. And I mean, and it also depends on your boiler model and the age of the boiler system, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. If you have a very, very old boiler, it's only some 60% of the energy in the fuel might be actually used for heating the home, or in our case, podcast studio. Modern boilers, though, can reach over 90%. Mm, what about gas? Very much the same story. Uh, not much of a difference to oil, except that you don't have to remember to refill your tank. Mm, okay. I mean, I guess in general, burning stuff fell a little bit out of fashion though, right? Mm -hmm. More and more people want their heat to be clean and climate friendly. Here's a stupid idea, Jeff. What if I use my green electricity to run an electric heater? Wouldn't that turn all the energy put into it into heat? That's actually a good one. It would turn 100% of the electricity into heat. Ah, but... That's not great efficiency, though. That's also correct. Our toaster, our TV, even our smart speaker do very much the same. They all turn 100% of their electricity input into heat eventually. There's actually a much smarter way to use electricity for heating. By putting, let's say, one part of electricity into your heat pump, you get four or three or five parts of heating out, and that is... I think, really a great and an amazing product. Thanks to Marcus Sundbrandt, our dear colleague and expert on our show today. He is one of the engineers working on heat pumps. As he said, heat pumps use electricity to create heat out of thin air, literally. In the future, they'll become even more climate-friendly. Mm, heat pumps have become really popular recently, mm -hmm. especially here in Germany. When gas prices skyrocketed, heat pumps suddenly became more appealing. But even if you, Jeff, or you, dear listeners, heat your home with gas or oil or district heat or even wood, I bet you have a heat pump in your home as well. Do you have one, Jeff? Is this a trick question? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not have a heat pump for heating. 
But you have one for cooling. Are you referring to my air conditioner? Yes. And your fridge. Ah, yes, right. <laughs> the heat pump in your fridge pumps heat from inside the fridge out into the kitchen. It's the same principle as a heat pump heating system, which pumps heat from outside your home also into your kitchen, as well as the other rooms. Speaking of fridges, do you remember them making the headlines in the 80s and 90s? Uh, kind of, yeah, um, because of the refrigerant they use, right? Uh -huh. That was a main contributor to the hole in the ozone. Actually, a small personal story. As a kid in the 90s, I had a family trip to visit friends in Australia. And as I visited the school down there, because of this hole in the ozone layer, which was geographically in this area, all the children needed to wear hats when they were outside. And these hats also had pieces of fabric which would cover the back of their necks. Oh, really? Every child had to wear at all times to protect them from overexposure from the sun. Okay, wow. Due to that hole in the ozone layer. Didn't know that. So it was very it was a very real thing at the time. CFCs or chlorofluorocarbons were all over the news at this time. I brought a couple news clippings with me. The race to save the ozone shield. Or this one from the US, our Environmental Protection Agency. EPA chief asks for total ban on ozone harming chemicals. The race for substitutes to help save ozone. On the other side of the ocean, we have European action on ozone. And of course, globally, 100 nations move to save the ozone shield. Do you remember, by any chance, June 29, 1990? That was a milestone in the so-called race to save the ozone shield. Our researcher Thomas reenacts the evening news from back then. London. As a last-minute decision, the environmental conference decided to ban CFCs from spray cans and as refrigerants in refrigerators. It is one of the first global environmental protection measures. Within a few years, CFCs were banned and phased out. New, less harmful refrigerants replaced CFCs. That's definitely one of the great success stories of environmentalism. These bans on CFCs actually worked, and the ozone layer has been recovering. Yeah, that's right. In fact, the hole in the ozone layer has since gotten smaller. However, the newer refrigerants can also be problematic. They're called F gases. So F stands for? F as in fluor. They're a group of synthetic gases that all contain fluor, among other elements. In particular, what's often used as refrigerants are F-gases containing fluor, that's hydrogen and carbon. In experts speak, hydrofluorocarbons, or HFCs. While HFCs don't impact the ozone layer, they do act as a greenhouse gas. So they can contribute to climate change. And they're not only used in fridges, but also heat pumps. As we have established, heat pumps are basically fridges. Similar technology. But usually, those refrigerants should not affect the climate, right? The F-gases are inside the fridge or the heat pump. Yes, except when there's a leak, for instance. Marcus? I think especially for Bosch products, we are very focused on quality and that we should not really have a leakage of refrigerants. Um, Jeffy, he did sound a bit offended by the question. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. Yep. We really shouldn't ask a Bosch engineer if their product might have an issue. <laughs> Never. Marcus Sundbrandt works at Bosch Home Comfort in Tranas, Sweden. 
a more likely opportunity for the refrigerant to escape is actually at the end of life of a heat pump. When it's disposed correctly, however, it shouldn't get into the environment then either. Your refrigerant technician should empty your heat pump and take care of the correct disposal of your your refrigerant. (laughs) Thanks. But you know the old saying, better safe than sorry. Uh, We want to find new refrigerants which have the same thermodynamical properties, so meaning we can still create an efficient heat pump, but we don't want, let's say, the environmental drawbacks which these other F-gases then have. And that's why we are looking into new refrigerants in that sense, that we want to go towards more environmental-friendly refrigerants, but still keeping the good performance of the heat pump. Mm-hmm. Mm. Something with the same thermodynamic properties as F-gases, he said. What does that mean, though? What, what are the properties <laughs> of F-gases, and how are they made use of in a heat pump? All excellent questions, as usual. Thank you very much. Let's, let's, uh, let's take a look at different types of heat pumps, okay? What they all have in common is that they pump heat from a source to a sink. So uh, source is where you pump, let's say, the heat from to then the sink which you want to heat. The sink would be my home, of course, or my hot water tank. But the source, that can be different things. Either the outside air, then you have an outdoor unit with a fan and a heat exchanger extracting the heat from the outside air. You could have the ground source, you can have groundwater, you can also use exhaust air. Mm -hmm. So if you have a ventilation system before sending out your room temperature air, you can extract some heat from there. Okay, okay, that was a lot. So what you said in the end, that makes sense. Before you ventilate warm air out, you should extract heat from it. The other potential sources were groundwater or outside air. But they're not particularly warm, are they? Still, heat pumps can extract heat from them. We'll actually get to know how that works in just a second. But first, one more potential source. This is what Marcus uses to heat his 100-year-old house during the chilly Swedish winters. I used to have district heating, but I I switched to a ground source heat pump, which I installed. And uh, today I have like a 200-meter deep borehole into the ground. Wow. Where I circulate a brine fluid, which extracts then heat from the ground. Hmm? Whatever your source is, the heat pump effectively sucks the heat out of it. That's done with a heat exchanger. Mm, that's where the fan is that Marcus mentioned. If the source is just ambient outdoor air, you simply have a big fan blowing air over some pipes. Right. And in those pipes, of course, is what we're exactly interested in. The refrigerant. An F-gas, or in the future, something more climate-friendly. Okay, we're getting there. Let's look at this from the perspective of the refrigerant. Should we do that? Perfect. So if I were the Mm F-gas, what would happen to me in the heat exchanger? You're actually going into the heat exchanger pretty chill. So let's say minus 10 or minus 20, minus 30 maybe. Pretty chill. Minus 30 Celsius is roughly equivalent to minus 22 Fahrenheit. So that's not warm. (laughs) Freezingly cold. Yes, except you're not frozen. We for sure don't want a solid uh, because that would mess things up. Yeah, that makes sense. So the first property that I, as a refrigerant, need is that I don't freeze solid even at low temperatures. 
So I realize at this point I'm not actually an F gas, but an F liquid. Exactly. So we want a media which is then uh, liquid and which can be turned out uh, into a gas in the temperature ranges which we are operating. Yep, I can feel it. I'm moving through the heat exchanger and I'm getting warmer. Because you are colder than the air that the fan is blowing over the pipes. <laughs> you are warming up, extracting heat from the outside air. So you actually absorb the heat from your source, meaning you are turning warmer and you will become a gas in that case, or a vapor. I'm getting warm enough to start boiling. I'm turning into gas. Woo! I feel so light. <laughs> yes, uh, perfect. And that's exactly why the heat exchanger is also called the evaporator. So the next property a good refrigerant needs, a low boiling point. Because the process of evaporating actually takes up a lot of heat. Oh, isn't that why we sweat when it's hot? Once the sweat evaporates, it sucks heat out of the body, cooling it down. Or if you go swimming. You might not be cold in the water, because the water alone doesn't actually carry away too much heat from your body. But when you get out of the water, and the remaining water on your skin starts to evaporate, that's when you lose heat to start shivering. The vapor carries the heat away, so evaporation is crucial for an efficient heat pump. Okay, I'm officially evaporated. I'm an Afghas at last. That feels comfy. Now, please don't get too comfortable there, Melina, because now you're entering the compressor. Ooh, that sounds scary. You are now in a gas phase, entering the compressor where you get uh, compressed, basically. So, meaning the pressure on you builds up, the temperature gets higher, and then you are, let's say, ejected out of the compressor. Things are getting a bit heated over here. And why is that? Well, if you've ever pumped air into a bike tire, you might have noticed that the pump itself was getting hot. When a gas is compressed, the temperature increases. I can feel it. <laughs> I'm quite hot now. I didn't imagine I would ever say that in this podcast. <clears throat> Always have been, Melina. <laughs> 110 degrees Celsius, I'd guess. And the pressure is also quite high. 30, 40 bars, maybe? And then you go into the condenser, the heat exchanger, where you want to exchange your heat uh, to the heating system. So, another heat exchanger. This time, you're hotter than the other side. And the other side is probably not air this time, but water from a heating circuit. Mm -hmm. That water is going into the radiators. Mm -hmm. So I'm passing my heat on. Mm -hmm. That means your temperature goes down because you transfer some of your heat into the heating system. So you're leaving the condenser in the phase of starting to go into the liquid phase. So maybe a mix of liquid and gas. And then you come to the expansion valve where this refrigerant is expanding and meaning the pressure is reduced quite rapidly. On the roll of my life here. Uh, but can you just make that sound for me again, please? <clears throat> that one? Wow. That comes naturally. And the Oscar <laughs> goes to... 
I love my job so much. But actually, that's a really good sound for the expansion valve. You can almost imagine a spray can. You've probably noticed that when you are using a spray can, the can itself is getting cold. Mm. It's because as the pressure is dropping, the expanding medium is also cooling down. So basically, I'm back to where we started. A very cold liquid, ready for another round through the evaporator. You've completed the cycle. One more thing about the evaporator, though. As we said, it's important that you are, or rather the refrigerant, is cooler than the source. That's so that it can be warmed up by the source. In colder climates, like Sweden, that can actually reach its limits when you want to use air as a source. It gets quite cold outside, and so much so that the temperature difference between the outside air and the refrigerant is actually not large enough. And that's why Marcus uses the 200-meter-deep borehole. So when you have a borehole, for me, it's about 6 degrees uh, stable temperature all year round. And that means it's, it's quite efficient because the efficiency of the heat pump also depends a bit on what is your source temperature and, and what temperature do you need to deliver to your sink. Of course, the air water heat pumps are getting more efficient as well. So more and more air water heat pumps are also spreading towards the, the north. Whew, that was quite a lot, wasn't it? Shall we uh, take a little break here? I, uh, in fact, asked our researcher Thomas to find out how our ancestors kept warm. We can't imagine a world without central heating anymore, but that's a relatively recent innovation. Here is Thomas. In the beginning, there is the sun. That's it, just the sun. If there's no sun, you freeze. Until, at some point, humans master fire. At first, it's outdoors, like a campfire. Eventually, it moves indoors. Well, indoors might not be the right term because caves don't have doors. Anyway, about 150,000 years ago, Neanderthals know where to put a fire in a cave to get a good balance of heat and smoke. <coughs> Smoky interiors remain a nuisance for thousands and thousands of years. The chimney is not invented until 900 years ago. In the meantime, heating technologies come and go. The Greeks have central hearths, and the Egyptians use bellows to make fires produce more heat. Around 1000 BC, the Koreans and people in the Middle East have floor heating based on wood fires. Similarly, a few hundred years later, in some Roman buildings, heat and hot gases from a fire are made to flow through spaces under floors. Magnificus! But when things don't go so magnificus with the Roman Empire anymore, the invention of heating in Europe more or less comes to a screeching halt for a thousand years. It isn't until the chimney is invented in the 1100s that fireplaces begin to appear in homes. The next iteration is the stove, which makes the whole thing much safer starting in the 17th century. In the 18th century, hot water and steam are first explored for heating, for example in Russia and England. Boilers and radiators are invented in the 19th century. At that time, coal begins to replace wood as a fuel for heating. Oil, natural gas, electricity and, yes, propane provide additional options for heating a home in the mid-20th century. Later, Solar is added to the mix. And heat pumps? 
The first one is built by the Austrian Peter von Wittinger in the 1850s. So merely 200 years ago, and I suppose that they haven't been as much for heating as for cooling, still, more households have a refrigerator with a heat pump as opposed to central heating using a heat pump. Mm, of course, yeah. So now let's move our wheel of history forward, and let's see what's next for heat pump technology. The goal is to find a better refrigerant with less impact on the climate. So having first-hand experience as a refrigerant now, <laughs> I think I understand better what those thermodynamic properties are that a refrigerant needs. The main thing being that it can go from liquid to gaseous and back within the temperature and pressure ranges of a heat pump. And that it doesn't get solid because that would mess things up. So what would make a good refrigerant that could replace F gases in heat pumps? Marcus actually has investigated this for years. And he has one favorite new refrigerant. For the, let's say, domestic use, it will most likely be propane. Wait, propane? It, the, the same gas that is used in camping stoves? Yes, that propane. That propane. Propane has very good thermodynamic properties and creates a good efficiency. And the overall understanding of the environment and impact of propane is uh, very good. Typical Bosch question. Can you put a number to that? What's the climate impact of propane compared to F gases? Oh, of course we can. Of course. The number here to consider is the so-called global warming potential, or GWP. So meaning if we release a kilogram of uh, refrigerant, how much global warming potential does that have in terms of CO2 equivalents? So, for example, for 10A, that is about, if you release one kilo of that refrigerant, it corresponds to 2,000 kilo of carbon dioxide. So, that very common refrigerant has this very cryptic name, R410A. That has a GWP, a global warming potential, of 2,000. What's the GWP of propane, then? It's uh, three, so compared to... R410A, which is 2000, this is a, a huge improvement, right? For sure, Marcus, for sure. Um, three sounds much better than 2000. So propane is the perfect refrigerant? Well, nearly perfect when it comes to global warming potential. It has almost only benefits, but it comes with a, let's say, a challenge in the sense that it is then flammable. Mm, right, coming back to the camping stove. Yes, indeed. Propane can ignite. Which uh, it shouldn't. As Marcus is very happy to remind everyone. We are very focused on quality and that we should not really have a leakage of refrigerants. Yeah. As you've mentioned it before, and uh, I love to repeat it, better safe than sorry. And also fortunately, there are laws around safe handling of propane. The standards specify how you could handle this in a safe way. For example, one thing that regulations require is having sufficient air around the heat pump itself. Propane is explosive in a mixture of around 2 to 10% of air mixture. So therefore, you want to make sure that either you have no ignition sources when you are in this kind of mixture, and that you also then dilute it with air so that you don't have an explosive mixture. And in the case of an air-water, that is, let's say, relatively easy because you have a lot of air as it's placed outside. That makes sense. There are some rules for where you can place a propane heat pump outside your house. 
It cannot be too close to any door or window, for instance, so that in the event there is a leak, the propane doesn't seep into the house. Mm, but what about heat pumps that are not placed outdoors, like the one in Marcus's home that uses ground source heat? That heat pump is probably somewhere in his basement. Would that safely work with propane as well? Well, it's definitely a bit trickier, and there are more strict regulations around that. One way to make propane use safe indoors is actually rather simple. Use as little propane as possible. There is even in the standards a limit of 152 grams, which is if you're below 152 grams, there is no need to take as much safety precautions as when you go above, because simply if you get a leak, it's, it's so small that it's still, let's say, diluted so quickly, so it's deemed safe. And in that sense, it's an interest to minimize the volume of refrigerant you have in, in your heat pump as well. Yeah. Once again, sounds simple. Uh, of course it's not. <laughs> Depending on how powerful your heat pump is, it might use multiple kilograms of refrigerant today. So bringing it down to weight of less than two bars of chocolate is a bit of a challenge. Because the power output... So the heat a heat pump produces and its efficiency should not be affected by reducing the amount of refrigerant. And achieving that is still a challenge that needs to be solved. However, I know that Bosch already produces propane heat pumps. Uh, that is correct. Those are for outdoor installations. So the phasing out of F-gases has already begun. That's great, I'd say. Absolutely. It's making this very climate-friendly technology even more climate-friendly. We should also say most heat pumps still use F-gases today. Even if the refrigerant escapes into the environment, even in this, again, unlikely case, the heat pump would still be more climate-friendly compared to a gas boiler, for instance, mm -hmm. when you compare them over their entire lifetime. Right. All that CO2 that a boiler produces over the years, that's a multitude of the global warming potential that the refrigerant in a heat pump comes with. Precisely. So I think we've covered that part pretty well. Heat pumps are the best. For many, many houses, they definitely are. But are they better than a romantic fireplace? Admittedly, probably not in terms of romance potential. But in terms of heating efficiency, yes. Admittedly, yes. Having slipped into the role of a refrigerant, cannot emphasize this enough, that was fun. I understand much better now how heat pumps work. But I think they are still really, really fascinating Heating a home using heat extracted from sub-zero outside air still sounds wild to me. Yeah, it is wild. I think it's actually time for a wow. <laughs> wow. And with that, we're all wowed out for today. But there is more to learn about propane heat pumps. Coming up on the next episode of our Deep Dive. I can't wait to listen to it. Until then, stay warm, everyone. Stay warm and cozy, Milena. Bye, Jeff. From know-how to wow. The Bosch Global Podcast. Dear listeners, I am Jeff's voice avatar, your host in the From Know How to Wow Deep Dive. In the next episode, you will find out that heat pumps are more than just climate friendly. Spoiler alert, they have the potential to convert more homes to this heating technology than F-gas heat pumps. Stay curious.